are in the middle of a series called Beyond the Ruins, and we're actually uh, looking at the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet who lived during the late kingdom period, which means like late kingdom basically means the kingdom is about to come to an end. The time of the kings is about to be finished. And uh, basically what had happened during that time is there were all of these kings, and the kings had led Israel to a time of great prosperity, but it actually resulted in a lot of uh, arrogance, a lot of pride, a lot of smugness. And that also resulted in a lot of disobedience. So God had commanded them to live a certain way and be a certain way and worship him alone. And they sort of looked at that and said, well, I'm gonna do completely the opposite. I'm gonna do all of the different things, completely different from what God had told them to do. And so what happened was, is they were no longer taking care of the poor. There was tons of corruption and tons of disobedience and, and, and tons of power struggles and power plays rather than caring for the most vulnerable and making sure that no one was oppressed and making sure that they reflected the image of God. And this corruption and fight for power and oppression was seen most clearly in Israel's leaders. And so God called this prophet named Isaiah to speak truth to power and to say, hey, listen, you are going the wrong way. You are are corrupt. You are doing the wrong thing. You are turn yourself away from God. And he calls him to to speak that truth to the leaders, but also to warn the leaders that there is this great nation of Assyria that is coming from the north. And then after Assyria, Babylon is coming. And they're going to take over Israel. They're going to decimate Israel. They're going to take captive all of the people. So Isaiah is trying to warn them about this. Now, we kind of have talked so far that that Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, is split in two chapters. There's two sections. There's chapter 1 through 39, which is the first section of the book of Isaiah, and that's sort of where Isaiah is speaking the truth to power, where he's warning them that this is going to happen, and he uses, last week we looked at how he uses this, this metaphor. He says, that Israel is, is, is a tree and that tree is going to be cut down and all that's gonna be left is this stump that's gonna be burnt and smoldering. Like that's all that's gonna be left of Israel. And that was a hard message. But, but what Isaiah kept telling them was, wait, there's hope. In this burning, smoldering stump, there's a holy seed. Out of this burning, smoldering stump, There's going to be a branch. There's going to be a king that's going to come. He's going to be Emmanuel. He's going to set the people free. He's going to rule for all nations. He's going to restore and rebuild all things. And at the end of chapter 39, like all of this that Isaiah has said comes true. (laughs) Assyria comes in and takes over the northern lands of Israel. And then Hezekiah, the king in the south, decides that he is terrified of Assyria coming. And so uh, against God's uh, command, he goes to the king of Babylon and he says, listen, listen, help me, help me, help me, protect us against Assyria. And the king of Babylon says, well, show me what you have. And so Hezekiah brings the king of Babylon in and says, okay, here's all of our wealth. Here's all of our land. Here's all of our treasure. Look how good it is. And Babylon says, yes, and takes over Hezekiah and conquers the southern part and burns Jerusalem to the ground, takes all of the things, takes all of the people, but a few that he leaves behind, and he drags them off into Babylon. And this is called the exile. 
This is where all of the people have to leave the homeland that they love, the land that they were promised by God. And they are standing there in ruin. And that's where Isaiah chapters 40 through 66 come in. All of the people are off in exile or, or back home wondering, like, what are we supposed to do now? Like, the city's in ruin. We're exiled in the middle of nowhere. Now, what do we do? Like, how are we supposed to move forward in the midst of this rubble? And, and more importantly, where is God in all of this? Like, like, God, where are you? You didn't show up. Where are you? And so what Isaiah does is in chapter 42, he commands them to sing a new song. And this is what Isaiah tells them in uh, verses 10. He says, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and all who live in them, let the desert and its towns raise their voices. Let the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice. Let the people of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to the Lord and proclaim his praise in the islands. The Lord will march out like a mighty man. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise a battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. Now, here's the thing, like, when he tells them to sing a new song, like I've always read that and I've thought, oh yeah, we're, we're supposed to sing like a new song. Like we're, learn, we're learning the new things to say. We're, 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 we're learning these new lyrics or whatever. No, but that's actually not what Isaiah means. A new song was actually a genre of songs. Like, like we have the blues and you sing the blues when you're like really sad. And then you say like the thing that you're upset about. So a new song, like the blues, is a genre, but unlike the blues, you don't sing it when you're sad. A new song is a victory song. Like when a king would come back from battle victorious, like you would sing the new song to the king. It'd, it'd be a song of gratitude. It'd be a song of celebration. It'd be a song of conquering. And so when Isaiah tells the people to sing a new song, he's telling them, sing a song of victory. Sing a song of gratitude. Sing a song of, of celebration. Now, the weird thing is, like, how? Like, why? <laughs> why is Isaiah telling these people who have just been conquered, who just lost their homeland, who've been, like, dragged off into exile? Like, why? Why is, Jesus, is Isaiah telling them to sing a new song? They, they've just had this crushing defeat. They're all captives and bound slaves and like they should be singing a funeral dirge like they should be singing the blues like they should why is he telling them to sing a new song but if you look closely at the lyrics of the new song that Isaiah tells them to sing if you read it carefully what you see is that this new song isn't about Israel triumphing over their enemies it's actually about God triumphing over his enemies. It's not about Israel being these mighty warriors. It's about God being a mighty warrior. It's, it's not about Israel being the ones who have raised a battle cry. It's about God being the one who raised a battle cry. It's not about them winning a victory. It's about God winning 
of victory. You see, the, the interesting thing is there's this huge parallel through this part of the book of Isaiah between um, sort of what happened when, when Israel were slaves in Egypt and, and sort of what is happening in the midst of them being slaves and prisoners in Babylon, being exiled people in Babylon. There's this comparison. And you see, when they were slaves in Egypt, when they were in bondage in Egypt and they were set free, and when they will be set free from Babylon, it is never, neither circumstances, it because they won some sort of battle. Whether in Egypt or in Babylon, it's not because they had some weapons that they were able to put together and rise up to fight the supreme powers that were above them. It, it had nothing to do with that. In fact, it didn't even have them being able to be strong enough of a political party or, or have some sort of political influence in order to, to um, sort of uh, navigate their freedom from coming. Like, in both of those cases, they weren't set free for any of those reasons. Instead, it was because God did something powerful. It's because God was fighting on their behalf in order to set them free. And so this new song is about God's victory, not their victory. It's about God's glory, not their glory. And, and the thing that's fascinating is it's so important for Israel, even in exile, to figure out how they're supposed to sing this song of, of declaration of glory and victory to God. Because the reason that they're in the very situation they're in, the reason that they are in exile, is precisely because they stopped singing this new victory song, this new song to God, and they were singing this new song about themselves. They were singing this new song to their idols. They were singing this new song because of their own accomplishments. And that's precisely why God had to say, okay, you, you gotta go into exile. Because you're singing the new song to the wrong thing. And in so many ways in our own lives, we do this too. Like this message is for us also. In so many ways, like when we get a new relationship, all of a sudden we start singing this new song to this new relationship. Or when we get a promotion, we start singing this new song to this promotion or to our own skills, our own accomplishments, our own resources, our own power. We sometimes sing this new song to our own resolve, our own goodness, our own abilities. And we need to hear the same words that Isaiah says to Israel, sing a new song to the Lord. So the other interesting thing about this new song is that it's, it's, not, a, it's not a song that's about good people triumphing over bad people. It's actually a song about God triumphing over evil. And this is really, really important because, I mean, if you really boil down the history of the world, the history of the world is all about good people trying to have victory over bad people. Like, that's what really the history of the world is all about. And the interesting thing about it is whoever, like everybody sort of defines what is good and what is bad in their own ways and they always put themselves in the good camp and everybody else that sees differently from them in the bad camp and then it's a battle between the two of them. So, so but, but 
but the people that the good people say are the bad people, they have also defined themselves as the good people and put those other people in the bad camp. And, and what's fascinating is that all the bloodshed, all of the wars, all of the toxicity, toxicity on social media, like all of that stuff is always about I'm good and those people over there are bad and let's try to conquer them, let's try to overcome them. And really when you're playing that game, you can justify just about anything because you're always justifying that you're good and they're bad. So this is right and that's wrong. We're always defining it by our own ways. Now, I'm sure that as you hear this, you might be thinking, yes, I know exactly who needs to hear this. I know like I'm gonna record this piece and I'm gonna make sure that this other person hears this. I'm gonna put this on my social media so everybody can know that, that they're doing it wrong. But here's the deal. I'm not saying this to them. I'm saying this to you and I'm saying this to me. There are even right now all of these different ways that we have defined what we believe, what we think, what we do as good, and what they do over there as bad. We always are in this wrestling place of creating sort of a bad camp. And so my question for you is, for you today, who's in the bad camp? Like, like who's in the bad camp for you? Which group is it? Which movement is in the bad camp? Which worldview is in the bad camp? Which, which news channel is in the bad camp? Which political party or religious group or nation? Or really, which person is in the bad camp? Because here's the deal, like this whole thing is not about you and them. This whole new song, in fact, this whole battle is not between the good people and the bad people. It's not between you and them. It's between God and evil. The battle has been won already by death, by the death and resurrection of Jesus. You see, on the cross, Jesus didn't win the battle between the good people and the bad people. On the cross, Jesus won the battle between God and evil. Between God and evil. And then he shouted, it is finished. See, Oswald Chambers, it's an author and Christian theologian, he has this quote and he says this. He says, the greatest note of triumph that ever sounded in the ears of a startled universe was that which sounded on the cross. It is finished. The greatest note of triumph was this call that it is finished. It is the last note of this new song. It is finished is the last note of the pursuit of justice. It's the last note of God making everything right with the entire world of rebuilding all of the ruins. It is finished. 
It's this declaration that Jesus did win, that Jesus is winning, that Jesus will win. It's this declaration that, G- that evil has been defeated, that it is being defeated, and it will be defeated. It is finished. It is finished. And so the question we're left with is how do we integrate this new song into our lives? Like, how do we sing it with all of our being that God is victorious, that he has won the battle? How do we sing this song? Is it words that come out? Is it some way that we live our life? How do we live out this song? And Isaiah says that living out this new song actually begins with our worship. He says that worship comes from the ends of the earth, that this new song happens when every part of the world is filled with worship. Now, I know that every one of us, especially if you call Clarksburg Church home, like every one of us is compelled by this mission that God has sent us on, that we are to bring heaven to earth or we're to proclaim and demonstrate that heaven has already come to earth in the spaces that we live, work, and play. We're, we're supposed to demonstrate it. We're supposed to proclaim it. We're supposed to do the things to show it. We're supposed to tell the people. And sometimes what happens in all of that is we're so compelled by doing justice and and walking in mercy and being humble and all of those things and, and living this out in our everyday lives that sometimes it feels like worship gets kind of regulated to the sidelines, that it sort of becomes like, no, I'm so busy doing, I, I don't have time to stop and worship. Or, or we only stop to worship when we're so burnt out and so exhausted and so tired that we need a little pick-me-up, a little inspiration to make ourselves feel better. And then we go back to work, to rebuilding and proclaiming and, and all the kingdom work. And what Isaiah is saying is that actually worship is central to accomplishing God's mission. That worship is central to the rebuilding of the city. That worship is central. It's like the root of finding life beyond the ruins. I mean, think of the audience that that Isaiah is speaking to, right? Isaiah is speaking to this audience who doesn't need inspiration. It's not like they need a little pet talk and then they're gonna be okay. (laughs) No, their lives have been decimated. Everything that they knew was normal is, is not normal anymore. They have been ripped away from their homelands. They're in this place that they're like, what is happening in this world? They don't need a little inspiration. They're oppressed and they've been taken captive and there's all sorts of injustice going on around them. And so what Isaiah says, what Isaiah is saying to them is like, listen, you can't fix this. Like you can't rebuild this city. You can't just clean it up a bit and it'd be better. Instead, only God can fix this. It's really only God that can move you beyond the ruins. It's only God that can rebuild everything. It's only God that can rebuild all of the destruction that sin and death has caused. And so in the middle of this mess that you're standing in, only God, only God can fix this. And when we worship, what we're doing is is we're sort of surrendering ourselves to say like, hey, I can't do this on my own. And when we worship God, we're joining the God who can. 
We're joining the only one who can fix all of it. We're joining the God who, since the beginning of the foundations of the world, has been working on restoring all things, has, has been working to make all things set right once again. And when we worship, we're joining this God who loves justice more than we do. We're, we're joining a God who cares more about making sure that the injustice to people of color is fixed. We're joining a God who cares more about people, how people with disabilities are treated. We're joining a God who cares more about the immigrant than even we do. We're joining a God who cares more about the unborn than we do. We're joining a God who has the power to set all things right. We're joining a God in everything that he is doing. In fact, when we surrender ourselves in worship, when we start from that place, it actually creates in us this sort of like missional sustainability that, that without God, without worship, we will give up. <laughs> we will eventually come to a place where we're like, I'm exhausted, I'm too tired, I can't do this anymore and we'll throw in a towel. But if we start with worship, if we start with understanding that we can't do it in and of ourselves and we're singing this new song to a God who can, we have the ability to continue on because it's not us who is doing it. We are no longer responsible for making all the things happen. And there is tremendous freedom that comes when we understand that God is the one who has already won, that God is the one who is winning, and God is the one who will win. And so we have this awesome opportunity to sing a new song in the middle of all of the discouraging stuff, in the middle of all of the messes, to cry out to God and say, you have won the battle. You are the one who is victorious. And so this morning, what I want to invite you to do, regardless of whatever challenge you have, regardless of wherever you are stuck, whatever mess you're standing in the middle of, whatever ways that you have divided camps into good people and bad people, I want to invite you to surrender to a God who is bigger than you, to surrender to the God who is actually able to fix it, to rebuild it, to worship a God who wants to see a new thing come in your life. So this morning as we worship together, I invite you with your heart and your mind and your voices to sing a new song to our God. Let's pray together. Father God, you are victorious. Even in the middle of this time where for some of us it really does feel like exile, that everything that we have known has been destroyed, everything that we thought we had control over, we don't. But you are still victorious. You are still a God who loves us. You are still a God who is working all things to the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. And so, Father God, would you allow this new song to rise in our hearts that it is not our battle, and it's not even us who have to fight it, but it's you. So would you allow our hearts to join with you in worship? Would you allow our lips to speak of your praises and your glory, but also our surrendering need for you? Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? 
Would you move us to a place that we can surrender all things to you, that we can start with worship to you and move us to a place where we declare your glory and your victory in all things. Father, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.